0: And uh, we're going to jump into a new series today. And so as we begin our message, I want to ask you to reflect on what would happen if you knew that you were going to pass away. What would you say? So if you got some very sad news that you knew that you weren't going to be here tomorrow, what would you do with that information? And what would you say and who would you say it to? Would you take the opportunity to leave some advice for some people? To be able to say, here's what I've learnt in my life and so i want to leave that with you as a gift that hopefully helps you as you live your life. Would you take the opportunity to maybe clear some things up? Maybe there's some issues that you've had with different people and you would use that as an opportunity to clear the decks on it. Would you take time to tell the people that you love the most that you do love them? you really have appreciated their love and support in your life. It's an interesting question to reflect on, and it's what we're going to kind of tap into as we begin this series that will take us all the way through to Easter, where we're going to reflect on the words of Jesus on the cross. Jesus made these seven final statements in his last hours that are extremely powerful and extremely challenging. And so as we continue through this season that we call Lent, where we take the opportunity to journey towards Easter and to really try and engage with the journey that Jesus went, but also to try and prepare ourselves for what we're going to reflect on and celebrate on Easter weekend, we want to take some time to say, what can we learn from the final moments of Jesus' life and the final things that Jesus shared with us? Because some of the most profound things that Jesus said come during these final moments. And so today the word that we're going to focus on as we begin this series is the word forgiven. So you can grab your teaching notes out of Connect News if you want to jot some things down. And particularly at the end of the message there is going to be something for you to reflect on. So I encourage you to do that. And you can also, uh, if you've got your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 23 because that's where we're going to go in a couple of minutes. As we get into this, we want to reflect on the journey that Jesus has been on over the last 12 to 24 hours. It's important for us to remind ourselves about how Jesus ended up on the cross. And Jesus has had a final meal with his friends, a final opportunity to be able to share with them and to be able to give us the gift that we celebrate every week uh, of communion. But Jesus is then betrayed by Judas, one of his closest friends, who goes and betrays him so that Jesus... Is arrested. After Jesus gets arrested his best friend Peter turns his back on him and denies that he's ever known Jesus whatsoever. Jesus is taken to a council of the Jewish religious leaders which is a complete farce. It's a false trial where they try to make up a whole bunch of accusations against him to find him guilty. Because they managed to convince themselves that he is guilty he's then taken to Pilate who is the Roman governor at the time, for sentencing. But Pilate really struggles to see that there is anything wrong that Jesus has done, and so Pilate sends him off to Herod, who is the king of the local area, who really just wants Jesus to do some party tricks and some miracles and to entertain him. And when Jesus doesn't do that, Herod sends Jesus back to Pilate. Pilate tries to appease everyone by having Jesus whipped, And in the process of that, the Roman soldiers take the opportunity to really mock Jesus, to not just whip him, but to beat him, to put a royal robe on him, to put a crown of thorns on him, and to mock him about this idea that he was some amazing king. After that's all happened, he comes back to Pilate, and Pilate once again says, I don't know that there's anything that this man has done wrong. And so he appeals to the crowd because it was an opportunity because of the season that they were in to be able to set someone free from the death sentence that was hanging over them. And so Pilate gives the crowd an option. Release Jesus or release this guy Barabbas who was a known criminal who had definitely done some things wrong. And this crowd who only a few days ago had welcomed Jesus as he then entered into Jerusalem turn on him say, no, we want Jesus crucified, set Barabbas free. It's really important for us to recognise that's the journey that Jesus has been on in the hours that lead up to these events that we're going to unpack in the next few weeks. So in Luke chapter 23, starting at verse 32, we pick up that story. Two others, both criminals, were led out to be executed with Jesus when they came to a place called the skull, they nailed him to the cross. And the criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. It's important for us to remind ourselves that Jesus is being executed as a criminal alongside of other criminals. Because we're so familiar with this idea of Jesus on the cross, we can miss just how amazingly staggering that is. Probably the easiest way for us to try and join the dots on all of that is to imagine Jesus being marched along death row to the electric chair, which might be very confronting for us to think about, but that's actually what is going on here. Jesus, as a convicted criminal, is being led to his death sentence, crucifixion. It's happening at this place that was called the Place of the Skull. And that's important for us to remind ourselves about because we often sing songs that talk about Calvary. you have just sung a song uh, that uses the word Calvary. And Calvary is the English translation of the Latin word for skull. You may have also heard the word Golgotha. That's the Aramaic word for skull that's then translated into English as well. And so it was understood that outside of Jerusalem there was this hill, and there's a number of reasons why it was called the place of the skull. It may have just been because it was really, really smooth on top, so it kind of looked like a skull. Uh, there are other schools of thought that it actually resembled a skull in terms of some of the markings that were on the hill. And there's another school of thought that says because so many people were executed here, there were skulls that literally littered the ground, and that's why it was called the place of the skull. Either the way, it was this place that was elevated above Jerusalem so that everyone could see these awful, horrible criminals who were being put to death for what they had done. And so take a moment to imagine what it must have been like for Jesus to experience all of this. What do you think would have been going through Jesus' mind as he hangs on the cross? Perhaps he thought... What on earth did I do wrong to end up here? All I did was come to try and teach people to love God and to love each other. That's the core of everything that I talked about. That's the core of everything that I tried to live out. How did that lead me here? Maybe Jesus is thinking, maybe I should have explored some of the other options that I had available to me. Maybe he thinks back to earlier in the week, and we've talked before about how the expectation of Jesus as the Messiah was that he was going to be this military ruler who was going to rise up and help to defeat the Roman army. So maybe Jesus is starting to think, maybe it would have been a better choice to tap into all of the enthusiasm in the crowd that was there earlier in the week, and to have an uprising instead of me ending up here. Perhaps Jesus was just feeling overwhelmed with sadness and grief. Was all of this worth it? Everything that I've done, everything that I've given, especially these last three years, is it really worth it? Well, Jesus had wanted to scream out his innocence. Say, so how am I hanging here as a criminal? I've never done anything wrong. I don't deserve to be here next to these other people who are convicted criminals. That's why this series is so important for us to be able to dig into, especially as we head towards Easter, to be able to enter into all of the things that Jesus may have been thinking, but to recognise how he does respond, the things that Jesus does say, even though he's in agony, even though he's in his final moments, even though he's going through so much that he doesn't deserve. So today... The words that we're looking at are found in verse 34 of Luke 23. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. The crowd watched and the leaders scoffed. He saved others, they said. Let him save himself. He's really God's Messiah, the Chosen One. The soldiers mocked him too by offering him a drink of sour wine. They called out to him, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. A sign was fastened above him with these words. This is the King of the Jews. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. I don't know that I understand how Jesus could even think those words, let alone say them. How does Jesus have the courage, the strength, the sense of love to be able to say to these people, forgive them? What's staggering about that is that Jesus actually puts himself in their shoes. His ability, even in this moment, to be able to say they don't really understand what they're doing. For some of them, they don't understand the full implications of what's going on here. They don't really understand the choices that they're making. For other people, Jesus is aware that they've just gotten swept up in what everyone else around them is doing, and they haven't actually made a conscious choice to do this. And how amazing is it that Jesus, in this moment, can stop and say, I understand what they're going through. Maybe it's just that Jesus didn't want hatred and vengeance to be a part of his final thoughts. But there's so much that we can learn from just these few words that Jesus says. First of all, we recognise that Jesus lives out what he's taught, even in his final moments. If there was ever a time for Jesus to say, all that stuff that I taught you, all those things that I said, it's really good advice. But when push comes to shove, actually it's not that practical. Now would be the time for him to live differently to the way that he has taught. And yet what do we see? Jesus teaches, love your enemies, and here he lives that out. Jesus teaches, forgive other people the way that you want to be forgiven, and here he lives that out. Jesus teaches, have compassion on people. And here, Jesus lives that out. Jesus teaches that the most important thing to do is to love God and to love people, to focus on others' centred love. And here, Jesus lives that out. Even in his final moments, even in all that Jesus is going through, he lives out what he has spent his life teaching. But it also helps us to recognise that Jesus understands what it means to be mistreated, probably actually more than any of us will ever experience in our lives. And this is important because we recognise then that it means that Jesus isn't kind of distant and far off, this kind of guru who floats above everything and doesn't really understand what life is like. Jesus understands everything that we go through. He understands what injustice looks like. He understands those moments where life isn't fair. He understands what it means to be misunderstood. Jesus understands what it means to be attacked. Jesus understands what it means to be abused. Jesus understands what it means to be left alone completely. And yet, in the middle of all that Jesus is experiencing, what's his response to this? forgiveness. And even more amazing, what we see here is that for Jesus, forgiveness is not conditional on how the other person responds, either before or after forgiveness is offered. I'm staggered to recognise that as Jesus says these words, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. You would think some of the people who heard that, who are the ones who are guilty of all this stuff, would turn to him who feel guilty about the way that they're acting, who feel sorry for the things that they've been doing. And yet what do we see is going on around Jesus? The soldiers are gambling for his clothes. The soldiers and the religious leaders are continuing their mockery of Jesus. If you're really the king of the Jews, like you say that you are, and like that sign that's above your head says, then why don't you save yourself? Come on, sort it out if that's really who you say that you are. Yet Jesus offers this forgiveness to them, regardless of the fact that they don't then respond. Part of what we can also learn from this is that it means that any of us can be forgiven. If Jesus is able to offer forgiveness to all of these people who've done all of these things to him, then what can we do that Jesus wouldn't offer forgiveness to us for? Those moments where we choose to turn our back On Jesus, he forgives us. Those moments where we just kinda get swept up going along with the crowd, Jesus forgives us. Those moments when we hurt other people intentionally or not, Jesus forgives us. Jesus shows us by forgiving all of these people that none of us are outside the realm of being able to experience the forgiveness that he offers. The challenge in all of this is that Jesus calls us to follow him. And so that means that Jesus challenges us to say, what does it mean for us to offer forgiveness to people as well? And to offer forgiveness in the same way that Jesus does. Even when we've been wronged unfairly, mistreated unfairly, even when other people don't necessarily respond in the way that we would hope that they would, if we're following Jesus, we're called to offer the same forgiveness that he does. And not about you, but when I hear that and think about that, there's a lot of yeah, but examples that come to mind to say, yeah, that's a nice idea in principle, but what about this situation? What about this person? Surely Jesus isn't saying that we have to offer forgiveness to them. Like that seems a little challenging and hard. That family member who constantly criticizes the choices that we make about the way in which we use our finances, about the fact that we're a part of a church, about the decisions that we make about our spirituality, about the ways in which we're raising our kids, about the ways in which we're working through things in our marriage, about the choices that we're making, about things that we buy. That family member who just constantly criticises me all the time, surely Jesus doesn't mean I need to offer forgiveness to them. That friend who I have been there for, for years and years and years, who I have given so much to, who every time they've been in trouble, I've been there to support them, and yet as I've gone through a difficult time, they've walked away from me. They're not there. They're not supporting me in any way at all. Surely, I don't have to offer forgiveness to them. That friend at school who posted that thing on social media, about me, or who said that thing in that group chat about me that now all these other friends are also piling on, surely I don't have to forgive them for what they've done. That person who continues to say that I'm not committed enough, and yet doesn't know what I'm going through physically, emotionally, spiritually, they don't have a clue what's happening for me, and yet they constantly attack me and say that I'm not doing enough, surely don't have to forgive them and you've probably got your own examples that have come to mind as well surely not that person who has done that to me he's caused so much damage to me surely Jesus doesn't mean that I have to offer forgiveness to them and I think part of the reason why we struggle with that is because we get forgiveness and reconciliation and trust all bundled up together and all mixed up together It seems that Jesus indicates that forgiveness is something that we are called to offer every single time. No matter what the circumstances are, no matter what's going on, that we're called to be people who forgive, regardless even of how the other person responds. But that's very different to reconciliation, which is about making peace in a relationship. And Jesus makes it very clear that we're called to be peace creators, people who pursue peace in the relationships that we've got with the people around us as much as we can. But sometimes being a peacemaker means that we actually let go of a relationship, that we say this is not something that can be reconciled in that sense. And so making peace means letting go. But that's then very different to rebuilding trust, that if we are able to forgive someone, and we are able to then reconcile the relationship, if there's been damage that's been done, it takes time to rebuild trust. Trust shouldn't just be given easily, especially when people have been hurt. It needs to take time to rebuild, and so that makes sense. Sometimes when we think about offering forgiveness to someone, we jump straight from forgiveness to rebuilding trust. But we think the idea of offering forgiveness means somehow we've got to automatically become best friends again, or just forget that anything and I don't think that that is what Jesus challenges us to do. I think that Jesus does call us to offer forgiveness all of the time, but then to work through the other stages of reconciliation and rebuilding trust, as that's appropriate, and to recognize sometimes there is no space to be able to do those next two stages. But it's worth us trying to think about that, especially in those yeah, but examples that might come to mind. So I want to give us an opportunity to just kind of reflect on what that looks like for us. And so the reflection question that we've got is what does it mean to embrace forgiveness as we journey towards Easter? What does it mean to embrace forgiveness as we journey towards Easter? And there's two ways of being able to look at this. The first is to say, for some of us, we need to be challenged about the reality that we are we need to wrestle again with the reality that there are some things that we say, surely God can't forgive me for this. This thing that's between me and God that feels like a barrier, there's no way that God can forgive me for that thing that I've done, for that thing that I said, for that thing that I thought. And so the challenge for us is to stand before Jesus and to recognise that he offers forgiveness to us that he understands the choices that we make, even when we're not the best version of ourselves. He says they don't really know what they were doing at the time and offers forgiveness. To challenge ourselves to say, if Jesus is able to forgive the soldiers, the religious leaders, Pilate, Herod, Judas, Peter, then he's able to forgive us. No matter what it is that we've done, no matter what we feel like is unforgivable, Jesus says, you are forgiven. So for some of us, wrestling with that is a really important thing for us to do. For others of us, it's about wrestling with the way in which we follow Jesus and what it looks like for us to offer forgiveness to others. And to stop and say, are there people who I'm withholding forgiveness from? And is that what Jesus wants me to do? Now again, we may need to do some untangling of that to be able to say, part of why I haven't been able to forgive that person is maybe because I've mixed up forgiveness, reconciliation, and trust. And so I need to pull those things apart and see whether that means that I can offer forgiveness. For some of us it means, what does it look like to even offer forgiveness to someone who might have hurt us in the last week, in the last month, in the last year? or five decades ago. It's a good opportunity for us to just be able to pause and reflect on that. And as we do that, it's important for us to listen to those little tiny nudges, those little whisperings that we might hear that may feel too challenging. Either to be able to feel that little nudge or that little whisper that says, surely God can't forgive me for this. Or that little nudge or that whisper that says, have you thought about offering forgiveness to that person or that situation? That's one of the ways that God often speaks to us. Is not in this big booming voice, but just this sense of being able to give us a little nudge. Being able to speak a little whisper to us that feels like something that is beyond something that we can really process or do. And so this is an opportunity to be able to spend some time listening to these nudges and those whispers. So I want to give you a couple of moments to be able to do that, you can jot some things down and I encourage you that if anything comes to mind at all, take some time to write it down now and take some time to process through that as we go into this week. You can feel free to share with the person next to you if that's helpful, but let's just take some time to reflect. What does it mean to embrace forgiveness as we journey towards this stuff? Part of the purpose of this season of Lent is for us to intentionally enter into the journey that Jesus went on to, and to be able to be challenged about what it looks like to go through some of the things that he went through. But Lent is also this season that is about us letting things die (coughs) in our lives. It's why fasting is so often a part of what people do at Lent, to be able to say, I'm going to let go of this thing in my life, even though it's really, really hard. And so I want to encourage you that as we continue to walk the road of Lent, that this week it might be helpful to really dig into this. I genuinely believe that God has a sense of release and healing that's on the other side of it. There's so much that gets wrapped up in us holding on to things that we believe God can't forgive us for, or us withholding forgiveness from other people, but then really does get in the way of us being able to follow Jesus the way he wants us to. And so I want to encourage you that even though it may feel challenging and hard as you're heading into this week, take some time to be able to process through what that looks like. The other thing I want to mention is that uh, some of you may have seen on the back of our teaching notes, uh, we're going to start printing our Connect group questions each week from now on. So uh, we are recognising the importance of being able to process through things together, that the reality is that I hope that you find the messages that we share helpful and challenging and inspiring. But at the end of the day, you know, it is only as we take the time to really unpack that with each other and to talk about the questions that it raises for us, to be able to say I'm not sure that I even agree with that necessarily, and to work through things. That's when things really stick for us. that's why being in smaller groups is so important to be able to take this and unpack it together and so i wanted to give you an example of what that looks like so that you know any that's what our connect groups are going to be unpacking together and the sorts of questions that we're working through not just about what we're talking about in our teaching but in general but also to say that's a resource for anyone Uh, sometimes we can think that being a part of a small group has to be this huge formal thing But the reality is the important thing is for us just to be getting together with some other people to unpack this stuff. And so if that looks like going and grabbing a coffee with two or three other people and having a look at the questions, it means going and grabbing brunch or lunch or dinner or doing something with just a couple of people, then feel free to do that and use this as a resource to help to shape your conversations. If there's any help that I can give as you get something going like that, uh, I'm more than happy to chat with you about it because it is important for us to have intentional conversations as we gather together, just to kind of catch up and chat, but to be intentional about the things that Jesus might be challenging us about. But that's really the purpose of what our connect groups are about and it is something that we want to invest in a lot more as we head into this year. So I hope that you will find that helpful. So let's take some time to pray and transition to communion. Jesus, there are so many moments when we actually stop and enter into your journey that are simply mind-blowing. And when we understand the realities of what you went through in your final hours leading up to and including you hanging on the cross. It's staggering to see the way in which you responded. As I said, I'm not even sure how you thought The words, "Father, forgive them," let alone "spare them," but it's a sign of your genuine heart and love for everyone. And I thank you that in that, there's so much that we can learn. We can learn so much about how you feel about us. But even in those moments where we mess up, even in those times when we turn our back on you, even in those moments where we hurt you, where we hurt other people, you offer forgiveness to us. We're so grateful for that. But we also know that you call us to be people who follow you, who follow your example. Not just your teaching, but the way that you lived your life. And I know at times that's really, really hard and really challenging. And this is one of those moments. And so I pray that you would continue to challenge and convict me, that you would continue to challenge and convict us about what it looks like to follow you to forgiveness, to be willing to offer forgiveness to those who hurt us, even if that's just to be able to say, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. I pray that as we head into this week, that you would help us to put ourselves before you and to listen to those little nudgeings and those little whisperings that you might give us. And help us to see those things that we think you can't forgive us for. Or those things that we think we can't forgive others for. And to be able to hold those things loosely before you. And to just work through those things with you. We know, Jesus, that your desire for us is to have a full, complete relationship with God. Where we recognise that everything that we have done has been completely forgiven. And that you call us to be people who have full, complete relationships with the people around us. We thank you that that's what you aspire for us. And so help us to trust you enough in those moments where there are hard things for us to do, to know that's what's on the other side, and to follow you in your cause. In your name we pray. Amen.